Welcome to Godsplaining, contemplative preacher's contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to Godsplaining. In this bonus Advent Lexio episode, I am Father Jacob Bertrand. I'm here with Father Patrick, Father Gregory. Father Patrick's laughing at me uh, because after two plus years of hosting a podcast, I can still not, I can't introduce it on the first go. And I still can't form a coherent sentence. Good thing for editing. Uh, fathers, how you doing? Welcome to the, welcome to the episode. Thank you. Great to be here on this year podcast with you. I, I got a really encouraging text today. Uh, you know how at the end of the year, Spotify sends you your most listened to whatever's. Mm -hmm. um, one of my one of my former students at Providence College texted me a screenshot of her Spotify most listened to podcast, and this student has listened to seven hundred and forty hours of God's planning or minutes. Holy. Excuse me, minutes, minutes, minutes. Oh, even okay. still, seven hundred and forty <laughs> minutes of God's planning. Wow! So that was encouraging. It's like, oh, well, people do like it. They listen to it. Yeah, that's nice. That is cool. Yeah. Gosh, I would get through like seventy four seconds. So, gosh, perseverance. <laughs> that's awesome, Father Gregory. Um, What's Doing up? well. I have I have three mm -hmm. siblings, and one of them listens to God's planning and likes it. And I don't think the other two have listened to a single episode of God's planning. <laughs> or if they have, it was because I mentioned them and and then sent it to them as a result. Um, so yeah, for everyone out there who listens to seven hundred and thirty-two minutes of God's planning, there are two other people who listen to zero mm. minutes of God's planning. So well, for all of you, here we are. <laughs> My dad thinks it's a live show, so asks when it airs. And I've told him many times that you can listen to it whenever you want, Dad. But he still asks, when, when is it going to be up again? Like, all right. Well, bless your heart. <laughs> whenever you want. I tell him now. It's, it's up now. You can tune in. There you have it. Summary of the year. Our own little Spotify summary of our <clears throat> listeners and hours and all of that. Uh, I don't think that's what people tune in for. So let's get to the, the Sunday readings for, for the fourth Sunday of Advent. Um, as we have the last few weeks, uh, read through those and offer some thoughts, some meditation on it so as to prepare for Sunday Mass for Christmas, which is coming very quickly, um, strangely enough. I feel like that's a very old person thing to say. It's like time has gone by so quickly, but I find myself saying it all the time. So maybe I'm becoming an old person. I don't know. Someone the other day thought that I was a college student. I w and I was just like, mm, no, I'm not. I'm like, that was a while ago. But thanks. But anyways, to the collect and then the first reading. Uh, let's start. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we to whom the incarnation of Christ, your Son, was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Okay, first reading, Father Gregory. A reading from the book of the prophet Micah. Thus says the Lord, You, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose origin is from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, the Lord will give them up until the time when she who is to give birth has born, and the rest of his kindred shall return to the children of Israel. He shall stand firm and shepherd his flock by the strength of the Lord in the majestic name of the Lord his God. 
and they shall remain, for now his greatness shall reach to the ends of the earth. He shall be peace. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if we look at sort of the, I don't know, the, the, the themes that have been, um, that have been given to us through the first few weeks of Advent, especially looking at the readings from, from the Sundays, um, there's, there's a sort of bolstering that's going on, a sort of, um, encouragement and hope and confidence in the Lord and the coming savior. So through the prophets and through the gospels, we have this, this message that, that the Lord is coming. We ought to put faith in the coming Lord, um, but we also put, ought to put trust in in um, the coming to fruition of his promises. That it's not simply an arrival of a person, but of the God-man who comes to fulfill everything that's been promised since the, since the beginning of creation. And one, when we think here particularly, I guess is a Dominican trope to constantly return to the virtues, but the virtues are the way, you know, the means, the tools by which we pursue holiness. Um, the, the, the virtue that comes to mind here is, of course, hope. And I think with the nativity, with Christmas, with things of Christmas, with the Christ child, um, there, it's easy to think about this virtue of hope, that here's the promised one, here's the one who's coming into the world, here is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, the, the, the Wonder Counselor, the Prince of Peace, all these titles that our Lord gets, um, especially in this season of Advent from the prophets. Uh, we can think of uh, a hope dawning for us anew in the in in the scene of the nativity so it begs the question then in 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 what do we hope or in whom do we hope uh generally speaking at least with respect to the coming of christ and his second coming uh you know is is that are those promises that for which we uh, strive or seek in our lives or are we distracted by things of the world are we discouraged by things of the world um, and then personally, you know, where, what, what is it that we, or where is it that we place our confidence, our trust, our hope? Um, is it in our Lord? Or again, are we distracted by the things of this world? This time of Advent, the season of Advent is, is a perfect time to ask those questions and to, to, to ask for the grace and, and the inspirations of the Holy Spirit so as to be less and less distracted by things um, that, that don't endure, that don't last, and more and more attracted to and attached to uh, what it is that our Lord brings um, in his very person as he, as he comes into our midst and as we prepare to receive him. And this is precisely what, what the, the prophet Micah is encouraging us to do yet again, you know, now on this fourth Sunday of Advent with Christmas just, you know, just around the corner to reassess where it is that that uh that we're hoping in whom we're hoping similarly i i would like to point to the person of christ um and i'd i'd like to point to this last line of the reading um this last line which says they shall remain for now his greatness shall reach to the ends of the earth he shall be peace i think there's a tendency today to think that peace is a kind of thing that exists as if apart from God, right? Like peace is some kind of uh, status one reaches. It's a point at which um, one can arrive at. And then once peace is had, then there will be God, right? We kind of act like this. Like, well, okay, we'll spend the Advent um, preparing our hearts and making everything ready. And then once everything is ready, God will be there. Well, the reality is that God is himself the thing we long for as father jacob bertram was saying like he's he's the thing we're looking for he is peace 
peace is not uh, a state of mind separate from Christ. Peace is Christ. This is why the martyrs can find such peace in the midst of their trial. It's why um, we, any Christian who's experiencing any kind of suffering, can be uh, comforted, can be truly deeply consoled, can be strengthened by the presence of Christ, because Christ himself brings peace in every situation. So we're not trying to seek after, we're not trying to establish in our lives some kind of Buddhist, Zen, uh, you know, orientation, uh, um, you know, establishing peace in our lives doesn't mean constantly being uh, in a state of meditation or contemplation, but peace means being with Christ and living a life that's totally connected to him, a life that's not divorced from Christ, but, but given over to him uh, because he is our peace. I was thinking about this recently uh, when yeah, I was engaged in a discussion about happiness. And in that conversation, we were distinguishing between like pleasure happiness and meaning happiness, which is to say, you know, there's a kind of happiness that you get from eating a good meal. And then there's a kind of happiness that you get from, yeah, like taking a pilgrimage, uh, which will involve, I don't know, like walking, let's say the Camino de Santiago over the course of four weeks and, you know, maybe having some terrible, terrible, I don't know, blisters or like thus and such and yada, yada. I would describe things, but they'll be cringeworthy. And then Father Jacob Bertrand and I will be thinking about what awaits us in May. Um, but, uh, but it seems to be the case that in the long run, you can't really have, you know, pleasure, happiness without meaning happiness. So like, for instance, if a couple says to each other, yeah, like we just got married, our life is really wonderful. Let's not ruin it with kids. Okay, in the short term, they're going to get more sleep, they're going to take better vacations, they're going to have a lot more, you know, spendable cash. But in the long term, maybe 30 years from now, what what will they have, you know, where will their love have gone? Or what will their love have brought forth? And I think that um, this point, you know, that Father Patrick, that you make about uh, our peace in Christ, it kind of, uh, it, it gives us the the full Christian scope for appreciating that insight. Namely, that it's in his will is our peace, as Dante says in the Paradiso. Um, because, as you know, Father Jacob Bertrand, as you said, uh, the hope that we that we kindle in our hearts is a hope that breathes forth love. Um, and without love, it's it's a kind of dead hope. And the love that we seek is a is a love from the Lord Jesus Christ, whereby we abide at the center of his will for our lives. And then that love brings peace in our lives. So when St. Thomas Aquinas talks about peace, he says it's one of the interior effects of love. So, you know, provided that we have that relationship with the Lord, that relationship will give order to our other relationships and we'll come to discover that there is peace in our lives, almost as if by accident or almost as if by an afterthought. But like you said, if we go about pursuing a kind of Zen Buddhist peace by, by keeping difficulties at, arm at arm's length or trying to avoid anything which might cause us stress or anxiety, we'll end up outside of the will of God because he suffered and died. And it was only through suffering and dying that he rose from the grave. So, yeah, that's that. <laughs> well, we will move then to our second reading. Reading from the letter to the Hebrews. Brothers and sisters, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice an offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared uh, for me. In holocausts and sin offerings you took no delight. Then I said, As is written of me in the scroll, Behold, I come to do your will, O God. First he says, Sacrifices and offerings, holocausts and sin offerings you neither desired nor delighted in. 
These are offered according to the law. Then he says, Behold, I come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we have been consecrated through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hebrews is remarkable as far as books in the New Testament go, in part because of the excellence of its rhetorical style. Um, the book of Hebrews is uh, this great encomium, uh, to use the technical rhetorical term, this great uh, hymn of praise for Christ. And one of the devices that the book uses throughout uh, is a comparison to uh, the old law or the old ways. And oftentimes the author of Hebrews compares directly Moses to Jesus, or in this case, as we as we have it here, uh, the comparison of the old sacrifices to the new sacrifices. Um, so we get uh, synchrosis is the technical Greek rhetorical term for that. Anyway, so the point of this comparison is to show us the excellence of life with Jesus, the excellence of the new covenant, the excellence of this new promise. And the remarkable thing is that um, Jesus is the one who himself makes it possible to offer uh, a sacrifice um, with a kind of purity of heart, right? To be the one, to be the one who is able uh, to do the will of God, to live, uh, to live according to the designs of God, um, to be to be pure of heart. It's not something we have to do by our own self, but but God's grace, um, Jesus Himself, uh, will work that out for us in our lives. And um, that there's a, a primacy to the action of God making this possible. And Hebrews and our reflection on it allows us to take great delight uh, in how wonderful Christ is, to sing boldly hymns of praise to him, to see that he is so much greater than um, what has come before, that he fulfills all of the ancient promises of Israel. So in reading uh, the letter to the Hebrews, um, I am reminded of one of C.S. Lewis's novels um, called Till We Have Faces. So a lot of us are familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia and then with the Space Trilogy, but he wrote or completed one other work of, of you know, fiction, like one other novel called Till We Have Faces, which is a kind of retelling of the myth of Cupid and Psyche. And in that, there's a description of religion and there's a, a kind of old religion, which is cultic, and then there's a new religion, which is kind of um, rationalistic, uh, dare I say whitewashed. And the main character is kind of thinking back at one point on the temple in which the old religion was practiced and the the god to whom worship was offered is named unjit and she says that it had that unjit smell like a smell of, of dried blood <laughs> and uh for whatever reason that line stuck with me i don't bring it up for you know macho reasons like hey, religion dried blood let's go but in the sense that um yeah with christianity we're dealing with sacrificial worship. We're always and everywhere going to be dealing with sacrificial worship. Christ offered himself as a bloody sacrifice. Mind you, we commemorate him in the form of, you know, the, the Holy Mass, which is an unbloody sacrifice. But we can't think that we're going to uh, kind of make it out alive. We, we can't think that we're going to be able to engage in this religion without, um, yeah, having adhere to our clothes that, that Christ smell. Um, so the, I don't know. I, I'm just struck by the fact that as as the the author of this letter continues to return to the theme of sacrifice, he continues to root it in very like visceral images of temple sacrifice, you know, holocausts and sin offerings in which animals were killed and then divided up among the offerer, the priest, and then the temple itself. 
And I think that as we approach Christmas, there's a kind of temptation, I think, to um, rationalize or to not rationalize, but rationalisticalize, not a word, who cares, um, to whitewash Christianity and think like, oh, yeah, we just got this baby. He's real cute. Let's cuddle him. And then we're going to go to heaven. It's like, no, he's going to kill you. <laughs> not now, like in all I heard sense. you saying, all I heard you saying was more incense at mass. <laughs> Okay, no, I don't. So mean to we say have the temple smell, right? Yeah, there you yeah. go. <laughs> I don't mean to necessarily just content myself with saying more incense at mass or Jesus is going to kill. You know, I I don't mean that to be misunderstood. But the Lord is going to ask things of you, right? He's going to demand things of you, and when that happens, it's going to weigh heavily. But provided that we do it informed by faith and spurred on by charity, it will not only be possible, but it will be good. You know, it will be beautiful. It will be the sacrifice of our whole life's love. Yeah, I think this idea of sacrifice, um, as Father Patrick and Father Gregory have been saying, that runs through the book or the letter to the Hebrews, um, it really contextualizes how we are to respond to the nativity, how we are to respond to Christ becoming uh, becoming a man, uh, becoming uh, like us in all things but sin. Um, ultimately, the, the sort of height of sacrifice, the height of giving, the height of offering is is giving ourselves offering ourselves, sacrificing ourselves, um, doing the Lord's will and whatever way that sort of manifests itself in our lives. And that might just be, um, you know, living well, our state in life, or it might be something more heroic or, you know, whatever it might be, but pursuing our, pursuing our Lord's will. And ultimately this, this giving of our will has to do with, you know, obedience, obedience to, to Christ. Now we talk about like, or often we might think of obedience as like a vow that religious take, but as Christians, we're all called to this life of obedience to the father, um, to, to the truth and, and to, you know, to God, um, because it's through that obedience that we pursue and, and do his will, but also that we're fulfilled, that we're made, that we're made Christ-like by his grace, by being conformed to him, by, by living a holy life, by worshiping our Lord, by offering the the one true sacrifice that we're able to offer um, totally and completely. And, that, and that's with the help of his grace, our very selves. So with that, on to the gospel. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste, to a town of Judah where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so I occasionally give updates on the progress that I'm making on my dissertation uh, on the podcast. And that's, that's probably just to convince our listeners that I don't spend all of my time recording podcasts, lest they think that I'm just, you know, like a dilettante doctoral student. But, all right, here we go. So just chapter dropping in my second chapter of my dissertation, second chapter, here we go. Um, 
I, uh, I had this little throwaway line that I thought was a throwaway line about the missions of the divine persons. I was like, I'm just going to tuck this in because my director, who is a master of, you know, Thomistic Trinitarian theology, will be pleased with it. Mistake. Ah, because when he found it, he's like, this is a major theme. You need to develop this at length. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> but I was pleased that I did because I read some really beautiful things recently about the missions of the divine persons. And basically what St. Thomas says is, you have the processions. So the father begets the son, father and the son breathe forth the Holy Spirit. And the processions are kind of like the patterns of the missions. The missions are how God is made present to creation in a new way. So in the case of Christ, he's made present in a new way in the incarnation. And then when he comes, says St. Thomas, he comes as the author of sanctification, who gives us the Holy Spirit, who is the gift of sanctification. And then having read that and studied that a little bit, when I go back to reading the scriptures, I'm like, holy smokes, it's everywhere. So it's like the Blessed Virgin Mary conceives in her womb and the Lord can't but be the author of sanctification. So she goes in haste to the hill country. She has this encounter with her cousin. The first thing that the Lord does is he sends the Holy Spirit. He's just in the business of sending the Holy Spirit wherever he is, whatever he's doing. And I think that for us, that comes as decidedly good news because whenever the, the Holy Spirit is referred to in the scripture, he's often referred to as like the paraclete or the consoler, the comforter, the advocate, etc. But he is the one who will console those who mourn. He is the one who makes it possible for us to be about the business of living this Christian life. Because apart from the grace of the Holy Spirit, and when we say the Holy Spirit is given to us, we mean that, that grace is given to us, our life would be really, really hard. St. <laughs> Thomas says, apart from grace, there's a couple of things that human beings can do. He's like, you know, you can like make roads and plant vineyards. Um, I think in the 21st century, you know, you can, I don't know, check your email and tie your shoes. You can have friends, uh, he says. There you go. Okay. Um, but, but apart from that, I mean, the real things for which we long, the real desires that, that stir us up and animate our efforts, you know, they remain, they remain inaccessible. So know that when Christ comes, especially when he comes at Christmas, but when he comes to you in the Eucharist, when he comes to you in the context of prayer, he comes to give you the spirit who is a spirit of consolation, who is a spirit of comfort, who is a spirit who brings with him the grace that refines like a fire. I think looking, looking at the, at the gospel, um, the, the, we always kind of look for ways by which the Old Testament, particularly the Old Testament reading, uh, but also the, the second reading are reflected in the gospel, or at least prepare us to receive the Christ in, in the New Testament, in, in the gospel. And this sort of uh, looking at the letter to the Hebrews, and then looking back at the prophet Micah, you know, inspiring us to hope. And then this offering of ourself, we have this sort of, we're presented with this kind of like anthropo anthropological reality in the gospel, right? That we see um, this, this sort of, it's not, the coming of Christ is not just a spiritual thing. It's not just um, something that we experience in the abstract, but something that's very real and very concrete. And we see this in the way by which um, the actions of Mary and Elizabeth are described. So the, the pregnant Mary makes, goes to the hill country, makes haste. You know, she moves to bring the Christ, the infant or the, the unborn Christ child to her cousin. John the Baptist is, is leaping in, in his mother's womb. Elizabeth cries out as Mary is before. You know, so it's not just a spiritual thing, but incorporates who, who we are as men and women entirely. Um, this, as Father Gregory was explaining, the this sort of author of sanctification that Christ is, well, sanctification doesn't pertain just to the soul. Our Lord doesn't just want this or that part of us, but he comes as a man to save us entirely, body and soul, as human beings. Um, 
sometimes it's easy to kind of atomize our our life, our spiritual life, our pursuit of virtue, just to like healing this one area or just like praying better or giving up, you know, temptations in this area. But really, our Lord comes to save human beings. He comes to save real men and women. And that includes all of what I am, all of what you are, all of what we are. Um, it's it's there's a there's a wholeness. Perhaps it's a bit like, I don't know, uh, hokey to say, or I don't know, maybe not the right word, but there's like a holistic reality to the salvific mission of Christ and his grace that is offered. And this is why he comes in the form of a man, offers his life on the cross uh, as the God man, so as to save us body and soul. When we hear that uh, Mary runs to the house of Zechariah to see Elizabeth, uh, one of the things we should be thinking, one of the things we should be hearing is temple. Temple, 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 temple. Why temple? Well, because Zechariah uh, is, of course, a priest of the temple, and it's while he's in service in the sanctuary that the angel visits him and announces the birth of John the Baptist. We're told that Elizabeth is a descendant of Aaron, then when we hear that Mary arrives in the house of Zechariah, you know, we can think of arriving in the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord, the temple. So there's a kind of arrival in the temple. And then we should see in the Blessed Virgin Mary, as the church fathers did, uh, that she is a, a kind of Ark of the Covenant, that she's actually the perfect Ark of the Covenant. Because above all, the temple was the dwelling place of God. It was where God was present. And so to say that Mary is a kind of Ark of the Covenant is to say that Mary is the one who bears the presence of God um, and that to encounter Mary, to be in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant is like being in the temple. Um, in the Incarnation, we have a definitive closeness of God, as Father Gregory pointed out in speaking about the missions. We have a definitive closeness to God, the Incarnate Son who is here with us, that he is closer to us uh, now, because of the Incarnation, even than God was um, in his holy presence dwelling in the Temple of Israel. So then, when we think of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the beautiful visitation of Mary to Elizabeth today, we ought to think of God who is very near to us, of God who is present to us, of God who is being carried to us. Well, there you have it. Fourth Sunday of Advent, our Lord is coming. Uh, he's coming to us. Uh, in, in the form of a man so as to save us beautifully, completely, um, so as to help complete dissertations, get that third chapter done, all the rest. Uh, <laughs> thanks so much for tuning into this uh, Advent Lexio uh, here in God's Planning. If you think it'd be helpful, of course, share it, subscribe and like us, like uh, the podcast on YouTube, Spotify, all the other places that help people listen to us. Thanks so much to our Patreon supporters and all those who support the podcast with their prayers. Of course, we're praying for you, especially during this Advent season. Um, stay tuned for uh, our, our episodes after the new year, picking back up with guest planning and live planning, of course, our regular Thursday episodes. So those are coming coming down the pike, as people say, as one says. Um, so we will wrap up the episode with, uh, with part of the solemn blessing from the fourth week of, of Advent. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Almighty and merciful God, by whose grace you have placed your faith in the first coming of his only begotten Son, and yearn for his coming again, sanctify you by the radiance of Christ's advent, and enrich you with his blessing. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in, and until next time, God bless. 
Thanks for listening to God's Planning, a work of the Dominican Friars of the Province of St. Joseph. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Leave a review on your podcast app and visit us at godsplaining.org.